Good day, friends. This is Reiko Zek. You're listening to Jesus in the Center One Year Bible Podcast. Today is day number 46 of the One Year Bible, and it's also Ash Wednesday. And for good measure, it's Valentine's Day. Happy St. Valentine's Day to you. Happy Ash Wednesday. Is that right to say Happy Ash Wednesday? It's a day that begins our 40 days of Lent, 40 days of repentance, 40 days even more than repentance is faith in looking for our, our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has come, uh, who took up the cross for us and, and lived uh, afterwards, as we see in our reading today, Matthew 28, and then bids, bids us follow, follow him. All right, well, we're going to start today with the proverb. It says this, Proverbs 9, 9 and 10. Instruct the wise, instruct the wise, and they'll be wiser still. Yeah, teach the righteous and they will add to their learning. The fear of the Lord, the fear of Yahweh, the fear of Jesus Christ is the beginning of wisdom. The knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. All right, well, we pick up our readings today. We'll be, uh, I'll try to be brief. I want to get to the gospel reading. It's awesome. But we also have Ezekiel, I'm sorry, Exodus 37 and 38. And here there's been such an outpouring of of the materials, a free will offering, a free will willingness, as we saw yesterday. The people give so much, it's more than they need. Now they take the materials today and they make it. And it's called, the at the end of chapter 38, it says, the tabernacle of the testimony. So we're kind of reading the testimony of the tabernacle being created. And we already saw that this is a pattern of that which is in heaven. And we might wonder why. Why all the details? Why? What's the purpose in all these things? We don't have these things today. I think it's to know that God's purpose is to make us holy. Remember that in chapter 19, even before the covenant that God made, he said, if you keep this covenant, I will make you my treasured possession, a holy nation, a kingdom of priests that wasn't quite fulfilled with this one, this one way, this two way covenant. It was later fulfilled uh, in Christ. But the purpose is to make us his people, to make Israel a pure and holy people. And we see that with all the different things from the inside out. There's this one, there's this Ark of the Covenant where God would be. And then there's this, think of the skill. There's this, this box is four and a half feet wide or long, and it's covered with gold. And then over the top of it is is folded gold, which is hammered into the shape of two cherubim or, or angels facing each other. So we see that God's presence, that's where he said he would be. God's presence is completely enveloped below and above by gold, by the, the costliest metal, by the purest thing that there, there is. And then we see, you know, kind of the working its, its way out, the, the table that they would make. And this was for the bread of the presence. The priests would eat this, uh, this bread and um, drink of the, the offerings of the wine there. It was for the priests. Uh, and it was also, you know, we, it's fulfilled today, the bread of the presence, the bread of the face. We have uh, of Jesus Christ who shows up to us in the bread of the presence. And then there's the, the lampstand. You might read it quickly. Verse 23. No, yeah, verse 23 says, He made its seven lamps and its tongs and its trays of pure gold. He made it all and its all its utensils out of a talent of pure gold. You might read past that pretty quickly. Okay, that's a talent of pure gold, whatever that is. 
that's actually pretty big. It's like 75 pounds of pure gold. If that were in American dollars for today, it would be about $2,390,000 worth of gold, just the lampstand and the things that you would use to put the lights out and all that stuff. Over $2 million just for that. And this is only one uh, one talent of gold. And we'll see that there's, there's like 29 talents of gold that they collected. Um, anyway, so you need in inside the tent where God's presence was, you, of course, you would need light and you needed the oil and the incense. And so they make all this stuff to purify the air, purify the light, purify the priests and the people. And then outside the tent, there's this altar of burnt offering where when you first come in, you see two things. You see the this altar of burnt offering, and then you see this bronze laver or this bronze basin where you would wash. You see the, the place where your, your atonement would be made, and then you see the place where you would wash. Now, I think it was only for the priest to wash, but it symbolizes uh, the baptismal font. Interesting, this is chapter 38. Interesting, chapter 38, verse 8 says this, He made the basin of bronze and its stand of bronze from the mirrors of the ministering women who ministered in the entrance of the tent of meeting. We don't know what this means, but it's kind of a, a great thought to think that there were faithful women who assisted, they're probably Levites or the wives of the priests, who knows? They're faithful women and they minister to the Lord and they have mirrors. I read about this, that there were, in in the culture back then, there was, they would make, in Egypt, they would be these pretty large mirrors, very ornate, handheld mirrors made out of bronze and uh, some metal that would reflect. And here, the women, they give them up. They're like, we don't need them anymore. We don't need to look at ourselves uh, it's a reflection of, uh, you know, the, the bronze basin is a place to wash, and there you could uh, see the yourself reflected in that water, and it's a cleansed water. It's a water for cleansing. Pretty cool. Anyway, we get all the all of the things collected, and it says that there is about 29 talents of gold, and that's worth about $69 million. So the people gave all that to the work of the tabernacle, not to mention... Uh, what is it, 100 talents of gold? That's 100 times 75 pounds. That's a, I'm sorry, that's silver. So they gave tons of silver, like just so much precious metal. And it says that there's about 603,000 men. So there's a couple million people here. They all gathered together to do this, uh, this beautiful thing, um, this place where they could have fellowship with God. All right, well, we end there today and we jump over to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew, Matthew 28, we rejoice yeah, it's awesome, isn't it? Not going to spend a lot of time on it, but just rejoice that, uh, that Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. And even at the beginning of Lent, we look forward to the great truth that that Christ took on our own dust, right? Remember the part of the curse, Genesis 3, you are dust and to dust you shall return. That was not God's will that any should ever physically die or spiritually die. So, when God says to Adam, after taking the fruit and eating of it, Genesis 3, you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Adam's name means, well, it's very much connected to this other word, Adamah, which is the one of the words used for earth or ground. You are Adam taken out of Adamah. You are dust, but we're not 
meant to be without God's spirit, without our own spirit. And that's part of the curse of the death uh, that we face. Thanks be to God that Jesus overcame that. He took on our dusty flesh and he rose again from the dead. It's awesome. So Matthew 28, hope you enjoyed it. We might think, well, how is this true? And I just, this is, comes from my sermon last Easter, but just a couple of things. The, there's a few things that start with S. There's the first witnesses are sisters. Think how unusual this is. In a court of law in the Greek or Latin world, if you called a witness, it could not be a woman. Right? You'd have to call multiple men in order to have something affirmed that it was true or they were eyewitnesses and it really happened. But here the first eyewitnesses are women. And that's counter-cultural. Not only is it it's good, but it's also, it just shows that this is how it happened. If Matthew was making up a story and he wanted to prove his point, if he had this really great myth and he wanted everyone to believe it, he would not use women as the first witnesses. The fact that he does is a pretty good indication that what he says is just what happened. I love how Jesus shows up to the women and it's translated the word greetings. He says to them, greetings. And that's a really lame translation. It's the word kairate, which it's sort of like us saying uh, goodbye. You know, it originally had a deeper meaning like God be with you, Godspeed, something like that. Here, this kairate, yeah, it could just mean hello, greetings, but it's the same root as the word rejoice. And I think on this Easter morning, Jesus is saying more than hello or boo. He's saying rejoice. I'm I'm risen. I'm risen from the dead. And it's amazing. They just, they come up, they take hold of his feet, they worship him. We've seen this many times in this gospel. We see it twice in this chapter. Jesus says to them, don't be afraid. Go, and this is important, go and tell my brothers. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. This is another one of those instances where Jesus is, or Matthew here, is showing us that Jesus fulfills Psalm 22. In Psalm 22, after David prays, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he describes crucifixion. He says, They have pierced my hands and my feet. They have cast lots for my garments. All these things that fulfill what happened to Jesus on the cross. He's, he's speaking as a prophet. Well, there's a turn, and he says, he prays, you, Lord, don't be far off. You, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword. Save me from the mouth of the lion. That's what Jesus prayed on the cross. The words that followed or my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This prayer, it then turns and he says, you have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. And for Jesus, what are the horns of the wild oxen? It's, it's death itself. It's those who who brought him to death. And then Psalm 22, verse 22 says this, after saying he was pierced and uh, crushed and all these things, he then says, I will tell of your name to my brothers. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. In other words, the end of, of Jesus, the end of the one that David writes about, is not being pierced and dead. It is having a victory and telling of his name, God's name, God's saving name to his brothers. And that's what that's what Jesus says here to the women. Go, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers. Go and tell my brothers. I love it. 
And we can give thanks to God that we are a brother. Jesus is the risen Lord, and he, he come and proclaims peace to those who are far off and those who are near, to his brothers, to his sisters. And um, we have not seen Jesus. I haven't. I have not seen him. But these brothers did. 500 brothers and sisters did. We can rely on um, those who saw him. People who didn't want to see him, like the Apostle Paul, who was Saul. Jesus' brother James, who before, before this day, the resurrection, did not follow Jesus, didn't think he was the Messiah. But afterwards, it, Jesus showed up to him and then his mind was changed. So we can rely on those brothers um, who would bring us this good report and then this good news makes us brothers. All right, well, uh, I love too how at the very end of this, Jesus says, look, look, I am with you always to the very end of the age. At the beginning of the gospel, Matthew 1, it is said uh, of Jesus that his name will, will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And then I believe it's chapter 18, Jesus says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them, there I am with you. And here he says at the end, I'm with you always. So how is it that he is with us always? Because he's risen. He can be wherever we call on his name, which is amazing. And then one last thing. Jesus gives a great charge uh, to, to the disciples and to us. He says, all authority in heaven and in earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples, or as you go, make disciples of all nations. Doing what? Baptizing and teaching. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe or keep or treasure all that I've commanded you. What a great charge. And, and he ends with, look, I'm with you always. We could not do this. But the fact that there are disciples of Jesus in every nation today is amazing. This is an impossible mission that Jesus gave, an impossible mandate that Jesus gave on this mountain to 11 disciples, some of whom it says doubted, which, by the way, uh, is more credence that this is just the way it was. Matthew would not have made this up if he was telling a myth. It doesn't sound very good, but it's the way it was. It's true. So the fact that there are disciples in every nation is evidence that Jesus is with us, with those who call on his name. And then lastly, um, we just rejoice that, you know, um, how is it that we're to make disciples? By baptizing, baptizing and teaching. So, all right, well, there's so much to take in. I apologize about the, uh, the sound quality today. If there's some clicks here and there, it's because I have a busy day. All right, go in peace. Serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.